This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Wyndham. Your work can take you all over the place, like Texas. You've never been, but it's going to be great because you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. Their free bright side breakfast will give you energy for the day ahead. And after, you can unwind using their free high-speed Wi-Fi. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you shine. Book your stay today at LQ.com. Today on CityCast Chicago. Governor Pritzker and Mayor Johnson butt heads over migrant shelters. Illinois remains behind on renewable energy goals. And get ready for nearly a trillion cicadas nationwide. Yes, that's trillion with a T. Here to help me make sense of it all, Injustice Watches Alejandra Cancino and WTTW's Amanda Venicky. It's Friday, January 26th. I'm Jacoby Cochran, and this is What Chicago's Talking About. Morning, Alejandra. Hi, good morning. Happy to have you back. Morning, Amanda. Hey, I love being with you, and you know it. Mm -hmm. I appreciate y'all. Y'all have both been on the show a combined 20 times, and we're always excited when you come back. Across Chicago, people have been talking about Restaurant Week as it's still going on for another week and a half. And this week on the show, we talked a little bit about some of the Chicago restaurants that hold us down year long, serving up some of the best tacos this city has to offer. Uh, So, Amanda, I'm going to start with you. With Restaurant Week upon us, is there a restaurant you're excited to to get in there and get that little deal, even though I'm not going to lie, sometimes after enough of the appetizers and drinks, the deal part kind of wash out. <laughs> that is true. But you know what? The restaurants really need our love right now. So I'm okay with it. This is, it's dreary. I feel like sometimes I go outside and nobody's out and about and I don't blame them. It's either foggy or icy or snowy or, you know, sub-zero or, temps. Or rainy or gloomy yeah, or nasty. all of the above. <laughs> so actually, I'm going to be going to a restaurant that is in my neighborhood, Kama, I think is how you pronounce it. Okay. K-A-M-A. And it is in Indian restaurant. And so I'm really pumped to try that. Um, we were between that and Bloom, which is really right down the street. It mm-hmm. is the a Bloom plant based kitchen. Yes, the plant based mm-hmm. kitchen. I've been there before, though. So we decided on the other one um, because I've been to Bloom and love it. Not a vegetarian, but highly recommend. Alejandra, I want to bring you in here because when we talked about restaurant weeks before we start recording, he was like, okay, I mean, I might just be going to the restaurant down the street that serve <laughs> your favorite tacos. And earlier this week, we, uh, myself, our producers went on our own mini tacos to try to find our favorite. Mine right now is coming out of Asian Cuisine Express and Little Village. The fish taco, the shrimp taco, that Monday Dollar Al Pastor did it for me. So for you, what's the restaurant in your neighborhood that you love to go pick up your tacos from? Well, I got to tell you first that to me, a good taco means really good tortillas. If you give me yesterday's tortillas, I'm going to notice they're going to be stale. They're going to break in my hand. That's not a good taco. So for the best tacos in Chicago, I go to Chile Toreado, which is in McKinley Park. It's walking distance. It's uh, nice and cozy in there. A lot of the times the tortillas are actually handmade, which makes me always feel like back in Guatemala and I'm, you know, nine years old eating my tacos. Yeah. Every single week, we like to bring in our friends to look back on some of the biggest stories that were taking place in Chicago this week and beyond. Alejandra, let's start with you. We've been talking for the last almost two years about how Chicago is trying or failing at providing resources for 
what is it, over 30,000 asylum seekers that arrived in Chicago during this time. Uh, and this week, there was some news that migrants had started being housed in an apartment complex in Woodlawn. And while this could look like a great step towards more permanent housing, this story also came with some concerns. Can you catch our listeners up? Yeah, so this is a story about a family of immigrants. There's seven of them, including two children, who were placed in a building that the city of Chicago took to housing court because of building code violations. So let me tell you a little bit of how that works, right? Like essentially, like if there are issues in a building, a lot of the times what happens is the residents will call 311. 311 will ping the city's building department. The city's building department will send inspectors. Inspectors will inspect the building. And depending on what they find, the the city will either um, send the building to administrative hearings or to circuit court. In this case, this building is in both. It's in administrative hearings and Mm -hmm. circuit court because of those violations. This is the building where this family was placed. Um, It's placed through a state program, right? It's a state program that is providing housing for immigrants for about six months. Um, And they have been there since September what happens is that this is in in this particular case there it's um a building in which the tenants have been petitioning the court to be part of the case and the tenants believe that they that the the city essentially is not doing enough with they this is why they want to talk to the judge themselves and tell the judge what they are seeing with their apartments the case has gotten increasingly more uh, contentious as time has gone on um, there was a argument between the judge and one of the tenants early on in the case. And after that argument, um, essentially, it's become more and more difficult. The tenants say it has become more and more difficult for them to actually be in court. What I observed last week, there were two hearings. At one of the hearings, the judge essentially threatened to send the tenants to jail if he found that they were lying to him about the conditions of the building. Because of what the tenants brought up at the hearing, the city sent inspectors again, and they found this Venezuelan family with a a pipe that had burst and water in their basement. And at the time, they had turned off the heat because they felt that it was getting too close to the heating unit. Um, As we all know, we were in below freezing temperatures last week, so Mm -hmm. it was pretty cold in their apartment. I, I, I'm not sure how these these court hearings typically go, but it doesn't feel common for a judge to be engaging in arguments, threatening to jail people. But also, you know, the tenants have brought forth not only longstanding complaints, but but some evidence when we're talking about pest infestation, plumbing and electrical issues, terrible drinking water. You, you know, so so what led to this to the point where where this judge is essentially threatening to to jail these individuals who who claim that their landlords Ariel and Raphael Lowenstein haven't provided livable conditions. Part of what is happening here is that the tenants have been, you know, that this the hearings have been happening on Zoom. And so the tenants, when they have felt that the record doesn't reflect their lived experience, they have been unmuting themselves and Zoom, even though they have an attorney present and they have been openly speaking to court, uh, uh, to the judge, really, about what they are seeing. Um, It is not customary for tenants to speak when their turn is not to speak before the judge, right? Like the judge has to essentially give you permission to speak in court. Um, I think from uh, what I have observed, the the 
You know, it's really interesting because the first hearing that happened in this case was back in October, and the judge was essentially gave the tenants a lot of hope about what was happening. He told, he calmed them down. He heard the tenants. He, he told them, you know, not to worry that he was going to attend the inspection himself. Then there was an inspection and he did go to the building, attended the inspection himself. Um, and then he came back at the next court hearing um, and essentially told the tenants, this isn't that bad. And that is when one of the tenant leaders unmuted herself and said, no, the conditions are bad. They are dangerous. And the judge said, no, they are not dangerous and hazardous conditions in this building. And, you know, I do think it's complicated because if the city and the judge were to deem this building dangerous and hazardous, the legal pathway is to shut down the building. Mm -hmm. And if they shut down the building, where are all these it displaces all of these families right and the judge has said in court that it is you know he has explained that it's really difficult to find apartments for tenants who are you know looking for places that are affordable it was really after that argument with the tenant leader that things started deteriorated in court and he got to the point last week where he threatened to jail the tenants if he found that they were lying and this speaks about how complicated it is to be in housing court, how complicated and mind-boggling it is to be part of this program, right, when you're being placed in neighborhoods that you don't really know. And I do think, you know, the state is doing um, what it can in placing tenants for six months um, in these apartment buildings. Um, and it speaks about, you know, the the not only the quality of a housing in the city of Chicago, the lack of affordable housing in the city of Chicago that a sitting judge is telling us that it's really difficult for the city to place residents who are living in dangerous conditions. Um, and then the response from the state that essentially they, they if, if a, you know, now that we have these immigrants coming in and also trying to take that limited amount of affordable housing, who is responsible for the tenants when they are placed in buildings that are in these difficult conditions? Now that we have more and more uh, asylum seekers looking for shelter, uh, we, we've seen where the city has been uh, sort of steering them to this point, um, which is why I want to bring you in here, Amanda. The, the tensions between Mayor Brandon Johnson and Governor J.B. Pritzker are rising because, you know, the mayor says they, they don't have any plans at this very moment to open new shelters. But as people are arriving and an eviction uh, deadline may be coming up next week, it, it's it's creating more and more confusion here. I think it goes beyond confusion. I mean, I think it's truly stressful for, for particularly for residents who are in these shelters and don't know what's going to happen. The deadline to be evicted has already been extended. And I think there are very few who would argue with that, given, as Alejandra pointed out, it was sub-zero temperatures last week in Chicago. The uh, program that we've been talking about in which the state helps for folks to stay once they're out of shelters in you know, apartments or rental housing for six months, will be shortened. It's going to be halved to, to three months. So you're, you're seeing, I, I think, just it, like I said, beyond confusion, it is true stress and there aren't any good answers. Um, when you talk about not only the Johnson administration, this is something that they have not pushed back against. Um, they have used the term right-sizing what they are doing with the shelters. So not only is that potentially that there won't be additional beds not coming online, but right-sizing appears to also be 
fewer beds. So are we looking at potentially closing of shelters going forward? We, we really don't know. There are not any good answers. Um, and I, I think you get to that. There's also this tension between the city and state. I'm not sure whether that is personality driven. I'm not in on these meetings. Uh, the mayor asked after the city council meeting, you know, are you at odds with the governor? And he didn't say so. I think you have both been really trying to push from that narrative. But it's clear that there's tension between yeah, no one wants to be seen sort of holding the holding the ball when when the buzzer goes off. Right. No, no, no one wants to be seen that way. You know, honestly, Jacoby, I wonder how much of it is that that this is um, two politicians. They are just that you cannot separate politics ever from this. Particularly, you have the governor with higher aspirations. The The mayor um, is new and is just wants to, to get through the first wants term. to get through the first term. There's been a lot of questions um, he admitted about his, quote, style or leadership. And so who wants to how much of this is pointing fingers to insulate one administration from the other and then nobody really fully taking action? Um, is it that it's a new mayor and getting up to speed on a very difficult issue and there just isn't the infrastructure there? Is it just that the city and therefore the state are sort of drowning in questions about Mm -hmm. what to do with these people. I think many of those can be true at the same time. But what is clear as these tensions boil over into the public is that if that's what we're seeing from the public, my assumption, and I'm a reporter, I don't like to make assumptions, but exactly, you have to think, Mm -hmm. what does it say about behind closed doors? I'll add that uh, existing tension is the city wanting the state to come through with promised bed space and the state saying, sure, but we can't just do that. We need to know where to do so and is waiting on answers from the city. So there is, again, a lot of frustration on both sides uh, of this as you have. It's not just tension. It's also, it seems, sort of a, a stalemate with nothing moving forward. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com wonder. I mean, let's stay on the case of housing. Last week, we talked with Amethyst, the founder of the Harvey World Herald, who provided us context on a string of social media videos we saw throughout the holidays in which residents at an apartment complex were essentially boarded up inside of their home after the the, the township had deemed the building to be unlivable, which tenants had been complaining time and time again that the building needed improvement. And so even getting to this point was heartbreaking. Uh, Alejandro, were there any updates this week as tenants were scrambling to find somewhere to live? 
Sadly, the the same thing is still what's happening, right? That the um, tenants are still trying to find a place to live. When there's sometimes when um, they're, you know, earlier this week, they, the tenants were still trying to to figure it out. I think it's so interesting to me that p- part of the reasons why the tenants haven't been able to find a place to live is because it's so expensive to move. So it's so expensive to rent an apartment in the city, but also moving out of your apartment, right? Like the sometimes has... Um, written the story about how um, there are so many fees and the fees continue to accumulate. I mean, moving fees. And then, I mean, we all know that first month is more expensive than any of the other months with your security deposit, with your move-in fee. Some people want first month's rent. Right. I mean, like we're talking about now more and more landlords are moving to a moving fee as opposed to a security deposit. And I think that's really interesting, right? Chicago has an ordinance that requires landlords to keep your security deposit and while they have it in their hands or so you're supposed to be accumulating interest and so at the end of your uh, lease the landlord is supposed to give you back your security deposit with interest but the thing is that landlords have uh, complained for a very long time that that not only keeping the security deposit but giving it back to the tenant with this little amount of interest is something that is uh, becoming increasingly difficult for them so Instead, they're moving to this moving fee, right? Which means the the tenants are not getting it back, which means when if -hmm. you're a tenant who's used to like, well, I get my secure deposit and then I'll go to my next apartment. I'll use that secure deposit to hold my next place. Well, you can't do that anymore, right? Like now you have to come up with all the money up front, the first month, the last month, the moving fee, the movers, all of that adds up. And for, you know, uh, people who are low income, as we all know, that's extremely mm-hmm. complicated. And I'll say that this is, speaks to me. I keep going back to the promises, the promises that the city has made to low income tenants. Um, and the promises were that when public housing was destroyed, that the tenants were going to be able to go to better housing that was owned um, by private lenders that was going to be maintained by private lenders, there's going to be better housing. And I think that we see the situations in Harvey, we see the situations in Woodland, and we see so many other buildings that are in housing court um, where tenants, uh, some of them are paying market rates, some of them are uh, there with subsidized housing. Um, but the promise, it, to me, it speaks to the promise not being kept. The city and the state had a responsibility through public housing. And they still didn't live up to it. And then they said, you know what? The private market, the market will take care of you. And now you think of Harvey, for example, the private market failed them. The tenants come back to the city and say, what will you do to help us? And they go, well, this wasn't our responsibility. It was that, you know, we didn't know anything about this. That's on them. We, you know, all right, we can do what we can now. It, it ultimately strips accountability from the from the, the state while leaving the public even more uh, vulnerable to both exploitation and neglect with with uh, what, what seems like no no route for uh, for both solvency or, or improvement. And so uh, I'm glad that we're spending more time here. We'll continue to update you. And again, please tap in with the Harvey World Herald. You can tap into Alejandra's reporting about the Woodlawn apartment complex in our show notes as well as bookmarking in Justice Watch.
We've heard so much over the last few years, especially on the campaign trails, about what the city and the state is doing to move towards more renewable energy sources. And Pritzker has touted, right, the opening of of several plants or the the soon to be open plants across Illinois. And yet it still seems like the state is behind on its long term renewable energy goals. Uh, Can you can you let us know what's going on here? Yeah, so this th- there's a lot going on with energy policy right now in terms of shifting priorities at the Illinois Commerce Commission, which helps to set rates for what we all pay in for natural gas, for electricity. Um, there's, of course, the, the ComEd trial that went on and continued questions in terms of what the the role utilities, which are you know sort of virtually monopolies, hence they're regulated by the state, have played in Illinois' history of corruption. And sort of grouped in with all of that, you have the state really trying to make efforts and toward moving toward renewable energy resources. And in fact, this um, big law known as CJA that requires the state do just that. But Illinois is behind. So um, this, as you noted, Jacoby, even as Illinois is making a lot of inroads and sort of winning companies that are going to be making solar panels and, you know, having to do with the creation of renewable energy. But I I just think uh, this is evidence of passage of a law that was hard fought for, but the difficulty in execution and compounding all of these uh, concerns is what it means for the grid. Illinois is not alone in trying to move toward energy resources and their their persisting questions of can it be done and can it be done with the infrastructure as is. Uh, is you? I, I recently covered, for example, the CPS being awarded a grant to purchase electric school buses. You know, Chicago is going to be able to to deal with that. And it's not as if they're all electric school buses, but the infrastructure to charge the individual buses um, in rural communities. Will they be able to get to and from and go long distances without having the chargers? And again, is the grid capable of it? So uh, that's not to say that it is incapable. It is just to say that there is a whole lot of energy being poured into energy policy. And there are not necessarily the answers to all these overriding questions, which is uh, contributing to Illinois lagging behind on those goals that are in a law the state itself passed. Before we let Alejandra and Amanda go, we've got to sing together. Every week, every episode ends with some good Good news. news. Come on. (laughs) See, that's how I'm going to transition to it. Because by saying we're going to sing together, it sort of put the spotlight on them. It was like, hold on, he ain't tell us nothing about this. He ain't tell us nothing about this. Uh, Alejandra, what is your good news for the people today? Well, you got to know that I mostly grew up in Miami. And (laughs) seeing my windows not being frozen for the first time in like more than a week made me really happy this morning. It has finally thawed and it makes me so happy. 
What do you do <laughs> when we get into those below zero temperatures? I know you've been here for a little bit. You've adjusted a bit. But, you know, what do you do to kind of get some of that Miami spirit? What What do you do to to think about brighter and warmer days? I mean, I plan a vacation most of the time. I just <laughs> I refuse to go out, so I don't really feel it. Uh, and I decide uh, where we're going to go next year on a crazy adventure. We pick Hawaii this year, so pretty excited. Come on. <laughs> Amanda, moving over to you. What is your good news? You know, I'm going to cheat. I've got two. Come on. Uh, so, all right, for starters, we, we began talking about restaurants and all the fun things that are going on there and restaurant week. I'm going to also say congratulations to um, all of the chefs that are finalists for Beard Awards. You know, we're talking about like the Grammys and Oscars and all that. It's award season. Nah. What I care about is the, is the food awards because these are folks who, you know, are some, like they're behind the scenes. We don't see mm-hmm. them on a big screen. So let's celebrate them and elevate them. And I especially think it's got to be cool for those who are starting. And so shout out particularly to Wazwan, which mm-hmm. whose chef is um, up for the best emerging chef award. Um, sort of the counter of that, my, my second <laughs> piece of good news and i might well, be is a, is a complete, eating is my a words but i'm saying it's a complete yeah, shift total shift total shift <gasps> cicadas are coming and i know that there are a lot of people that are probably saying like screaming and fearful of that news i am pumped it is going to be not just one but evidently two broods and according the great southern brood and the northern yes. illinois brood yep so u of i has a lot of insect experts and evidently um a cicada one as well who is also looking forward to this because this is an occurrence that happens only once every 221 years mm-hmm. to have these particular monster broods coming together. So uh, I, I, like I said, I might eat my words because I... A yeah, trillion it's gonna get cicadas it's gonna get across loud. the country. I still remember, I don't know if y'all remember the first time you saw them, but I remember walking out of my back door as a kid after the emergence of cicadas having... Of course, I wasn't watching the news at that time. I was not prepared. I did not know what was going on. And I remember walking outside and seeing looking down and seeing all of these holes in the ground. And I was so concerned, so scared, looking throughout the backyard. I was like, what is happening? And then I heard this sound and I looked up because the sound was almost so ubiquitous. Like it was so loud that I almost didn't notice it because it was just like, okay, that's just outside. It's so present. It's like white noise. And I looked up to to this big tree behind our house and Every inch of this tree was absolutely covered. And I mean, for months after that, there were just cicada shells everywhere because they they mate and then they die and they they leave all of their nasty, nasty shells behind. Well, obviously, you talked with some experts who wouldn't see <laughs> it that way. So let me say, and then they leave their, their sort of beautifully intact shells behind. Uh, there it, we go. That's nah, it was better. one of the scariest things I've ever seen as a kid. I I really thought it was some some apocalypse. Uh, but they don't bite. You type. know what I mean? Like they're nice. It'd be one thing if they were I don't know eating our homes. No, nah, if, if they were if they, they were, were mosquito bite, if, based or if they yeah. had some sort of termite ability. I feel they're you. Not. 
No. And you can eat them, right? There we Isn't go. There, yes. Are there some cultures where you can actually prepare them? Totally. They're a local delicatessen. No, that's not about right. They, the they look packed with protein, I guess. <laughs> I, you know, we, we talking about eating crickets. I came up on the entomology TikTok. And so, I, you know, I, I respect it. I understand <laughs> that for some people, this is the most exciting thing that in their lifetime, they're going to see something that the next generation, next two generations might not see. But dog, it's terrifying. A trillion of anything sound terrifying, even dollars. I'm like, why you got <laughs> yeah. that? You would ter- that's terrible type of accumulation. So hey, cicadas, no longer frozen windows. Hey, we 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 like range on this program. We like range. And so I'm gonna finish <laughs> up us off. And my good news, even though I don't know if I'm gonna be able to get tickets to this, hearing that Andre 3000, Mr. Benjamin. Three Stacks is coming to Chicago to perform multiple shows, February 12th at Talia Hall, February 13th at Salt Shed, uh, and February 15th at Garfield Park Conservatory. It really brightened my day. Um, I am like so many other Andre 3000 fans that eats up anything he puts out, any feature, uh, in any quote, any interview, and even a bunch of random flute sounds. Uh, I, I absolutely love Andre 3000, always in my top three rappers of all time, musicians of all time. And so while the tickets are sold out at most of the venues, I do believe a couple of them will have some walk up tickets available. So if you're interested, get in on that. Uh, have any of y'all listened to the to the new Andre 3000 yet? I have. I really like it. New Blue Sun is I love I just love the fact that he is not. Uh, sort of a quote unquote expert at the instrument and is just in a position in his life where he's like me and my friends got together and they was like, I should put this out. I love that for him and I love that for us. I have faith that you're going to get tickets, Jacoby. I have faith. Listen to this excitement. You gotta. Somebody (laughs) listen. Help Jacoby out. Uh, I want to give a huge thank you uh, to our guest today, senior reporter with Injustice Watch, Alejandra Consino, and WTTW state reporter, Amanda Vinicky. Thank y'all both for joining us today. Thank you. Thank you. Before I let you go, I want to give a huge shout out to the people who make City Cash Chicago possible. Our executive producer is Simone Alisea. Our producer is Michelle Navarro. Our newsletter editor is Sydney Madden. The music we all love is from Sam Thousand, All the Kimonos, and Mark Greenberg from the Mayfair Workshop. If you enjoy City Cash Chicago even just half as much as we love making it, share it with your friends and family, rate and review the podcast wherever you listen, and make sure you tap into chicago.citycast.fm. We're going to be back here bright and early on Monday. We'll talk to you then. Peace. That's what I was going to say. I like to put things out into the CityCast ether and maybe somebody could come through for me. <laughs> I'm sorry I'm not that gal, but I wish. <laughs> Hey, maybe get us, give me a couple, a couple, couple. I got to hook Michelle up too. Michelle want to go too, y'all. So, so let me know.